a young man of about 15 years old walked into the gathering space. It was covered, though partially open to the outside, letting in a slight fall breeze. The room was beginning to fill up and had maybe a couple hundred people waiting for the service to start. Throughout his childhood, this young man grudgingly attended a rural church with his family and found his family's Bible reading, praying, and psalm singing left him feeling restless and resentful. But several months before that fall day, when the young man stepped into that semi-open gathering space, some Christian businessmen gathered in their hometown for an all-day prayer meeting at his father's pasture. The young man's father, a farmer named William, was there when one of the men prayed that out of this town, the Lord will raise up someone to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. A couple of months after that prayer meeting, the gathering started. Now getting this young man into that semi-open gathering space on that fall day was no easy feat. He had heard about this group meeting for some time. Now his parents told him about how great it was, but the young man refused to go with them. Some of his schoolmates said the preaching was different than the preaching they'd heard as kids, but he was still not interested. In fact, it seemed like half the town was talking about this new gathering that was taking place, and none of that interested this young man. He was antagonistic toward the whole thing and thought it sounded like some sort of religious circus. His words, not mine. Finally, after successfully avoiding a couple dozen of these gatherings, a close friend of the young man said, why don't you come out and hear our fighting preacher? An interesting pitch. Uh, but this interested the young man because he liked a fighter. So he decided to give it a try. So on that cool fall day, he made his way into the gathering space and found a seat along with all the others. Once the service started, the band played some songs and the preacher got up and began to preach. The whole thing was a little bit louder than he was accustomed to, but he kind of liked it. He kind of liked it. Young man wasn't quite sure what that preacher preached on about, but somehow he was spellbound. In some indefinable way, the preacher was getting through to him. He was hearing another voice, which I would say is probably the voice of the Holy Spirit. Well, the very next gathering, the young man made a point to be there. He had to be there. He had to hear it again. And then he showed up the next, uh, to the next one. And then the one after that, and the one after that. Week after week, the young man continued to come and hear the message. Now, the preacher, they preached on all kinds of topics. Nothing seemed to be off limits. He talked about sin and money and the coming of Christ and hell, among other things. I'd never heard a sermon on hell, said the young man, who noted the preacher also talked about the great love of God. The young man's heart began to feel heavy. He felt like the preacher was always directing his messages directly at him personally. He began to feel confused and convicted of his sinfulness and his rebellion. He began to doubt everything he'd heard or known about Jesus before, doubting he'd ever really known him. And when the preacher invited people gathered to receive Jesus Christ 
as their Lord and Savior, the young man responded. But as he looked around the room, he saw a young woman responding as well who had tears streaming down her face. Now, he didn't feel an emotion as strong as that, and he began to have doubts about the decision he was making. He began to feel like he was making a mistake, but then a family friend and a member of these gatherings came alongside him and prayed with the young man, encouraged him in the decision he was making. And that support of someone in the gathering coming alongside him would turn out to be pivotal in this young man's life. He was so impacted by the support of the fellow member of the gathering and the God who empowered him that he decided he must tell others this good news as well. The young man then would go on to preach to other young men in his rural town. So compelling was his message that, in fact, neighboring towns asked him to come and speak to their young men and women as well. Then he went on to teach uh, and to preach in larger towns and cities. He went on to preach about God's goodness and love to crowds of hundreds and then crowds of thousands and then crowds of tens of thousands. He spoke to young men and young women in other countries and old men and old women all over the world. In total, the young man would go on to preach to more than 215 million people at live events in over 185 countries. And it all started in that semi-open gathering space on that fall day. And with the prayer of a businessman who wanted to see the gospel go out to the ends of the earth from their rural town. And the son of a farmer who would carry on his father's name, William Franklin Graham. Or you might know him by his nickname, Billy. Billy Graham. I heard that story and, and I just, uh, or the story of Billy Graham and how he came to faith. And of course he went on to do incredible things. And I just thought it tied in so well with with what Paul is saying here about this great mystery that, that, that God's manifold wisdom, his multifaceted, incredible wisdom should be made known to the world and God has a plan and a purpose and a way in which he's going to reveal his wisdom to the world and what particularly caught me this week as I was looking at this passage there in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What are we talking about, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? Well, that's angelic beings, right? Not Non-human angelic beings, the, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, those who, are, uh, who have been with God, longer than we can fathom, those who have walked faithfully with God, offering praise and worship to God and following him perfectly and sinlessly, right? Those angelic beings, it says that, that, that this manifold wisdom of God might be made known to them, which I find particularly challenging, right? I find that particularly challenging because if, if these majestic eternal beings whom God created and who have been working and seeing God work from, from a time before we can even imagine, 
if they don't know and understand the manifold wisdom of God, then what hope do we have? Right? If this is something yet to be made known to the angels of heaven, do we have any chance to know or understand what this manifold wisdom is all about? I think that's challenging. In, and, and this is not isolated to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 12. He says, uh, and, and we're kind of jumping in the middle of a statement here, but as revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So as Peter's talking about the gospel and the good news, good news being preached, he says, the angels long to look into these things. Does that break anyone else's brain to think that there's something that, that angelic beings, these supernatural uh, beings who have been with and serving God, seeing God at work, can, can fail to understand some aspect of God's infinite wisdom? And that somehow we're supposed to have a grasp on what that is? It just, I, I'm having a hard time computing that. You see, God's wisdom is not singular, it is manifold. God's wisdom is, is multifaceted. There are, there are many, many elements of his wisdom. You can view it from all of these different angles and you'll see more parts of God. We see some of God's manifold wisdom when we look out in creation. Right? That's not hard to do here. It's harder to appreciate at the Salem location. There's a lot of industrial buildings. Uh, but out here, it's pretty easy to see, right? We look and we see God's creation. We see something of God's manifold wisdom. In God's wisdom, he created the earth and everything on it. In God's manifold wisdom, he created the stars in the sky at night when we look up. Anybody ever go camping or you get way, way outside of town? You get away from the lights and you look up at the night sky. Is anybody's breath taken away? by the sheer number of stars and planets that exist that we can see through that, that shimmering uh, night sky. That is, that is a facet of God's manifold wisdom being shown to us and, and known to us, but that's just, that's just scratching the surface. God's manifold wisdom is so much more than that. And, it, and as, as I have grown in my relationship with God through the years, I continue to, to grow in my understanding and deepen my understanding of just how grand and multifaceted his love is. When I first became a Christian, I, I had just a, a tiny glimpse of what that looked like. And that has increased year after year after year. In fact, what it leaves me with is year after year, I feel smaller as I see how much bigger God is. Anyone else feel that? Right, as you come to know and understand more of the manifold wisdom of God, we think, I am so much smaller than I ever realized, and God is so much grander than I ever realized. And then I think about the angels, right? They have observed creation, far more of it than I have, right? I don't understand how angels, you know, roam around and, fly around and whatever they do. I, I know very little about angels. 
I'm not uh, proposing to be an expert on this at all, but I'm pretty sure that, that the angels of heaven have seen more and appreciated more of God's creation than I have ever known or seen, right? And, and the view from wherever angels hang out of the night sky, I'm pretty sure is more incredible than mine. My, my wife and I went to uh, Hawaii a few years ago. She, she spent a couple of years living in Hawaii, and, and she wanted to take and, and show me around her old stomping grounds, the, the big island, Kona, and, uh, and, and hang out with some of her friends. We got to stay with some of her friends and stuff. And one of the things we, we did is we went to the, the top of the, the mountain, Mauna Kea, I think. Uh, it, there's a road, actually, you drive. I didn't hike this. Let me be clear. Uh, not hiking any mountains, okay? But from the top of the mountain, the parking lot to the, the peak was, I mean, it was like a quarter mile. That's something, right? Uh, anyway, we we borrowed <laughs> we borrowed our friend's car and and drove this poor thing up there. The air gets really thin and the engine's having a hard time. And then we didn't really think about this, but then you got to turn around and come back, and that's quite a strain on the brakes. So I'm pretty sure we ruined their car. But anyway, they were really generous. Uh, but we go up there on top of this mountain, right? And there's an observatory up there because uh, you're 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 way up on on top. You're you're you know way up in the air. There's very few lights around, only the lights on the island, and they regulate how bright those lights can be and what hue of color they can be at night uh, because you're, you're on this little speck of dirt in the middle of the ocean, and the view of the night sky is incredible. So we went up there and we watched the sunset and we got to see the stars, and it's just incredible, unbelievable. But how much more incredible is the view that the angels have of the stars in the sky? How much more do they understand God's manifold wisdom because of it? Right, So I'm struggling as I look at God's incredible wisdom. I'm struggling to understand how there's anything that we could make known to the angels. God's mystery, in addition to being multifaceted, manifold, deeper than we can imagine, it's remained hidden for ages, Paul tells us. This aspect of, of God's Manifold wisdom has remained hidden for ages. How long is an age? I'm not sure, but it's longer than I can, like, live or wrap my head around. And angels who, who have been these beings with God for ages, how, how could I possibly in one lifetime come to understand anything that angels have not understood and observed for ages, right? Perhaps if we were nearer to God, we could have some glimpse of this. And so we think, well, well, maybe our relationship with God will enable us to see some aspect of God's incredible manifold wisdom that the angels have not seen. But we need only to read to the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis 3, here at the very beginning, and we see man's fall, right? That God came and walked in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. There was a, a very close relationship there. And maybe in that was some manifold wisdom that, that we might have revealed to us. But mankind chose then with Adam and Eve to take the fruit and to rebel against God, to believe themselves to be able to be like God, no longer needing God and his presence. And the relationship between mankind and God was broken. And of course, we live in a world that has been affected by Genesis 3. We know it and we feel it and we see it all around. Our world is broken 
groaning and, and straining under the, the weight and the destructive power of sin in our world. So, so that can't reveal to us any wisdom that the angels have not already seen, I can't imagine. But here's what's awesome. This aspect of the manifold wisdom of God, which Paul is talking about, is not for the angels. It was never meant for them. This aspect is not for the angels to know. It is for us to know uniquely. Because this facet of God's incredible wisdom we're talking about his mercy and his forgiveness. For all of the ages the angels have spent serving and worshiping God, those, those angels who serve and worship him have not sinned, have not rebelled against him, have not thought themselves higher than God. It's the very sin which alienated us from God in Genesis 3, which puts us in a position unique to understand a facet of God's grace and his forgiveness, a facet of his manifold wisdom, because only someone who has sinned can experience forgiveness. Right? Do you see what we bring to the equation? Our brokenness, our sin, our flaw, that, that thing which separated us from God originally is the thing which allows us to experience God's mercy and his forgiveness and his manifold wisdom in a way that the, the angels can never experience. They have not sinned and therefore they need no redemption. They cannot truly experience this aspect of God's great wisdom. Think about, think about this. I will never know, I hope, whew, I hope I will never know the feeling of receiving a presidential pardon after sitting on death row. I hope. I will never experience that. <laughs> right? Just imagine being sentenced and, and, and maybe innocent of a crime, whatever the situation is, and you're sitting on death Maybe guilty. That's actually a better, uh, a better analogy here. Guilty of the crime. Sitting on death row, knowing that you deserve to die, and just counting down the days. And then you receive news that you're getting a presidential pardon and you're not going to be put to death. That feeling is unique to the, the death row inmate. That's a feeling that I'll never feel in that same way. Similarly, angels cannot experience the kind of forgiveness and grace that we experience. God, for whatever reason, has chosen to reveal this to us, to show this kindness and this goodness to us, not because we deserve it, but because God is just good and gracious. And in that, fully deserving death, fully deserving hell, fully deserving to be separated from God the rest of my life, God rescues me out of that, pardons me from that. And I get to experience part of God's manifold wisdom in a way like no angel ever can. That's what the angels long to look into. That's what they long to see. So uh, two, two nights ago, I, I, uh, I'm out with my daughters. They, they did a, uh, uh, we, 
we do martial arts, and, and they had a test, and we're celebrating. We're going out to Dairy Queen for some ice cream, and I get a, a phone call from one of my employees, and I silence it. And then I get another phone call from my employee, and I silence it. And then uh, one of his coworkers calls me. I was like, okay, I better answer this, right? So I, I answer the phone. I go, hey, what's, what's going on? There must be something wrong, right? Uh, and he says, uh, now I'm going to change his name to protect the, uh, the not-so-innocent here. I'm going to call him Adam, okay? That's not his name, but I'm going to call him Adam. Uh, my manager calls and says, hey, Adam was uh, in a real hurry to leave uh, after we closed up shop tonight. And he jumped in his car real fast, backed up out of the parking space, right into your van. Uh, here, here's, here's what Adam does not know about me and, and part of the manifold uh, wisdom that is Brian. I view vehicles as tools. That's, that's all they are. I, I'm completely uninterested in car, I would love to like get into cars and, and really appreciate them someday. Uh, I, I drive a Kia Rio, okay? Like I'm not in it for the status symbol, okay? I pull up at an intersection, there's another white Kia Rio next to me. Do you know who is always in the other white Kia Rio? A 16-year-old girl. <laughs> like the only status symbol that a, that a Kia Rio provides is like, hey, I just got a license. <laughs> that's, that's the status, right? But it's the most efficient way to get me down the freeway to Eugene, where I drive frequently, and back. And so I drive it. It's simply a tool to transport me from Eugene to Salem and back again. Similarly, I, I have a truck, who uh, the, the truck which is almost as old as I am, but the engine runs and it hauls things. So it's perfect. I don't need any more than that. And then my work van uh, is, is covered cargo space. It's a storage unit on wheels. Like, that's all it is to me. And so my employee backs into my van, and he's ready for me to be super ticked. He's ready to, like, lose his job over this. He's ready for me to, like, fly off the handle for some reason. And he calls me, and he says he backed into the van. And I start laughing on the phone. And the only thing I can say is, man, I really hope the uh, security cameras got that because that's going to become a GIF, and that's going to be in the company chat all the time. Like, this is so great. He's like, well, well what, what about the van? I'm like, I don't know. I'll look at it tomorrow or something. He's like, well, well what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. How's your car? He's like, it's, it's pretty messed up. I'm going to have to get it fixed. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry about your car. And, right? <laughs> uh, the point here is he's, he's experiencing an aspect of my personality, which is I just don't care about cars. And the fact that he dented my work van, I couldn't care less. Uh, I've done worse to it, I'm sure. And, and he's experiencing this aspect of my personality that he's, hit him and other of my employees, no one else has run into any of my cars. Uh, he's experiencing this new aspect of my personality, right? And so from, from that experience, his anxiety turns to relief and his fear turns to appreciation. Uh, and and when, when a new employee gets hired, who better can tell the new employee about me and, and how I operate as a boss, Right? And I feel uncomfortable with this analogy because I'm putting myself in, like, the place of God or something. So, please, like, this metaphor falls short in so many ways. But, right, like, he experienced that fear turned to relief and the anxiety turned to appreciation. And, and when a new employee comes along, you're like, oh, man, how's, how's the boss? Is he, like, a real jerk? Who better to advocate for me, right? Like, no, he's so awesome. I totally ran into his car. He didn't even care, which may have adverse effects. I don't know. 
I just, listen, be careful when you park in our parking lot, okay? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I can say. But, like, once someone experiences this, they, they have a whole new perspective. So this is, this is the secret. Like, who better to declare God's mercy to the whole universe than those who've received the most mercy, right? For, for the angels to look in at redemption and forgiveness is, is almost purely academic, right? Because they've not experienced it in the way that we have. And so they long to look into these things. What's being made known, not just to people around earth, but to the, the angelic beings of heaven, the, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, what's being made known to them about God is something that only we can show those of us who have experienced the grace and the mercy of God. This is the role of the church. It's not for angels to declare. It's the role of the church. And, and he says it there in the beginning of, of verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. This is not something that's purely individual. And I think as, as Americans, as Westerners, like we, we have this, this really individualistic culture and society, right? Everything is, is kind of on me, right? Uh, successes and failures, everything's very individualistic. Uh, and we have very little thinking of, of like the community aspect. Uh, the fact that you're here this morning probably means you, you understand better than most how uh, belonging to the church is is how we experience this manifold wisdom of God, right? It's 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 communal. As we gather together, we get to see the manifold wisdom of God on display in in the way that that God has extended grace and mercy to each one of us. It, as I see how God has extended His forgiveness and His grace to me, I see I see part of that. But when I see the way that he's forgiven you and you and you, we, we get a fuller picture of God's grace and his mercy. And as we as the church, God's people gathered together, live our lives on mission in our community, we are displaying the manifold wisdom of God. We are making the manifold wisdom of God known. And I don't think it's just to the angels, but I think it's to our city. Here in Silverton and in Salem, it's, it's to the community around us. It's to uh, the, the broader world, the state and the nation. I think that as we live as redeemed people whom God is working in and through, we are showing together the manifold wisdom of God in a way that, that only the church can. This is so, uh, so uh, significant and, and unique that God sets us up that the church would be the the vehicle through which this aspect of his personality uh, and existence is, is displayed. And, and furthermore, as we dig into this, this mystery that Paul's talking about has a lot to do with unity, right? If you'll remember just back a few verses, he's talking about the, the Gentiles and the Jews. And he's going to go on talking about the unity of the church. And I think that we're, we're in a time, and we've talked about this recently, we're in a time that is extremely divisive. Our world around us would have us divide against one another. Our world would love nothing more than to see this church ripped to pieces over some divisive issue. 
a few weeks ago, we got to go on a, um, uh, a, to an Acts 29 conference in, in Denver. Uh, some of our staff went, uh, and, and we just got to, to hear some, some incredible, encouraging preaching and, and hear from uh, other churches within the network all around the world and what God is doing in these churches all around the world. Super encouraging time. And I had lunch with, uh, with a friend of mine who is a church planner. Uh, he used to be here at Outward, and, and he's gone out and he's planted another church. And they just went through a church split. I'm having lunch with him, and he is just wrecked and ruined. The divisiveness was allowed to take root in his church, and it just, like tearing a family apart, this church was just torn asunder. And he's just describing to me how painful this has been as, as friends of his and, and, and people they're doing ministry together with are picking sides and drawing lines. It's awful. And, and probably many of you in this room have experienced that in some form. Probably many of you have been hurt in the midst of, of divisiveness within the church. And I am so sorry. I am so sorry if that's something that you have been through and endured. Paul's call is for unity within the church. To not let the differing opinions separate and tear us apart, but, but to see that the, the differences we have just better demonstrate God's manifold wisdom because we experience God's grace and mercy differently. We're better together as a church with a diverse group of people that God can be working through. And so this, this mystery and the secret gets deeper as we see that God's calling his church to unity, and not only within our church, but that we would be unified with Salem, even though we're meeting in different locations, and we are. I, I, this is not, I'm, I'm not trying to correct anything. I just want to, in the good times, let's prepare ourselves against those things we know Satan would love to tear us apart with, right? But we, we have incredible unity with Salem. Let that continue. And let us be unified with other churches around town and around the nation. Going to this Acts 29 conference is awesome because we're united with, there's like 1,500 pastors there, churches all over the world. It's incredible uh, to just see that, that unity being represented. The gospel, the hope of salvation. In, in Paul's day, the, the big division was, was the Jew and the Gentile, right? And, and so the, the Jews who, who had been God's chosen people, they were astonished, astonished that the Gentiles would be included in God's plan. But the only people more astonished than the Jews were the Gentiles. They were astonished that they were included in this plan. And, and I just think, like, our division is, is not going to be between Jew and Gentiles. I can't imagine. That would be a really unique uh, one in, in our day and age. Uh, but, but, like, what things will threaten to divide us, right? Who would you be most surprised to see here at our church? For the Jews, the people they would be most surprised to see coming and sitting with them in church would be the Gentiles. And I just, I don't know, it's, it's a, just a question to ponder. Like, who is God putting on my heart? From my experience, some of the people, I have good friends who are, who are believers, who are a part of our church today. I'm not going to name names. Uh, but I thought some years ago, this guy's never getting saved. This guy is, he's a fun dude to hang out with, but that is not, he's not following Jesus, I'll tell you that. And, and I have seen God save those people. I think to, like, just in spite of, of my, like, counting them off, right? God's, oh, you think that guy can't get saved? Watch what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to bring him to your community group. I'm going to, I'm going to introduce him to my son, Jesus. He's going to get saved and do incredible things. And I just sit back and go, God, what in the world? This is so incredible, right? God loves working in those ways. It's the same thing with the Gentiles in that day. Uh, and, and, and so just be thinking about that. Like, who should we be inviting in to our midst? Who would never come? Let's invite them in. Let's not be divided, but let's be united in this, and let's show God's manifold wisdom uh, as we live out life as God's church. Uh, Matthew, Matthew 16, I, w- I want to read this. Um, Matthew 16, 15, Peter, the, the apostle Peter is talking to Jesus, uh, and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He's asking his disciples. People have been saying he was all kinds of things. Uh, some of them not so nice. But he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I was reminded this week uh, by Tara Lee Cobble in, in the Bible recap, and I've, I've heard this before. I can't remember who I originally heard it from. But when we look at that, I've always thought of it this way. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like, like Satan and, and hell is attacking and the churches are defending. That doesn't actually make sense. It says the gates of hell. Gates are defensive structures, not offensive. So what's this, what's Jesus really saying in this verse? The defensive structure of hell will not prevail against the church. That we're on the offense, not the defense. God has called us to be on the advance. People are headed to hell. People are headed to destruction. But you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. We are on the offensive. Later in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to get into the full armor of God. We're going to see the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and and all of those things and our offensive weapon which is the word of God God's word here is our offensive weapon is the sword and we are charging down the gates of hell this is our role as the church to to reveal God's manifold wisdom to the world and beyond Satan and the demons take notice God's church is on the advance isn't that exciting that's what we are called to that's what we're being called into And this morning as we sit here in this semi-open gathering space with a light fall breeze coming through, I just wonder like who, who among us is going to go out and plant the next church? Who among us is going to go take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Right, like the story I started with and, and Billy Graham in a rural church, they were not in a barn, they were in a tent. A little bit different. It's probably warmer. Like, these heaters are amazing, right? Praise God. We're, we're warming up. I'm getting too hot, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's not the problem last year. Uh, getting too hot was not the problem. But, like, going back to Billy Graham's story, it, it took that church meeting in that rural community in North Carolina to preach the gospel for him to hear it. It, it took that group of businessmen getting together and praying to be praying, they didn't even know Billy Graham. Uh, they didn't know that, that he would be the one God would send, right? But, but who else would have prayed for him if those men had not gathered and prayed? Without that church member who came alongside 
and, and prayed for and mentored him, would he have stayed at the church? Would he, would he have stayed? Would he have grown? And so I just, like, every single role in the church is significant and important. Every single role in the church. I, I think of my, my own story uh, at Outward. When, when I came to Outward, I, I had just gone through a divorce. I was a wreck. I, I come into uh, Outward in, in Salem, and I'm greeted by who would become a great friend, Peter. I was greeted by Peter at the door. He said, welcome in. Hey, how's it going? Have you been here before? No, I've never been here. All right, let me show you around a little bit, right? For anybody who's greeted here, like, you don't even know maybe how that's going to play out and how significant that's going to be in somebody's life. But Peter greeted me, and then I go in, and I hear the preaching and, and the worship music. Oh, my goodness, the band. That's the reason I stuck it outward. Let me just be honest. Like, the music was incredible. I'd never experienced worship like that before. And every single band member was a part of that, a part of me sticking and staying. And then the, the community group leader that invited me that very next Monday to come and hang out in their community group where I could wrestle out and talk through what I was going through uh, and, and how God responds to that. Like every single role at the church is so significant, so important. This is how the church lives out this call to reveal the mystery of God that's been hidden in ages. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. So I just want to transition into... Um, kind of how we can respond. I think we can respond in a lot of ways. I think like praying for and reaching out to the non-Christians that you know is has got to be number one, right? Like we, we want to see non-Christians being served and, and, and cared for and prayed for. Whoever you think, like think right now, who's the person I know that I hang out with that will never come to church? Can we just start praying for them? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend or a neighbor. Like, let's pray for them and see what God does. Because I just see God do amazing things like that all the time. And, and one of the ways that, that we're doing this, like, as a church together is through THX. Right? For those of you who are new, THX we've been doing uh, for 15 years or something. Uh, and, and THX, it's a Thanksgiving outreach. What we do is we cook. We fully cook a whole Thanksgiving meal. And we deliver it, uh, maybe along with a Christmas tree and some gifts for the kids. Some of those details may change a little bit this year. But we're going to deliver this amazing Thanksgiving meal to some families who wouldn't be able to afford that. Right? Thanksgiving is a time we gather as a family. It's awesome. But if you just can't afford, like, an extravagant meal like that, uh, you, you can lose a, a lot of, like, this awesome opportunity. And so we're going to uh, we're gonna serve 100 families this year, and we're going to serve them well. 50 families in Salem and 50 families in Silverton, we are going to serve well because of what God has done for us, because we get to display God's manifold wisdom to our community as we serve in this way. But we need to raise some money for that, obviously, and we need, like, everyone to volunteer. We, we don't need some volunteers. I need everyone to sign up and volunteer because cooking, I, I don't know, like, how much effort goes into cooking one turkey? Multiply that times 100. And then throw the sides in there. We've got some work to do, okay? Every single thing is multiplied times 100. So there's a lot of work there. Uh, but I just want to invite everyone to, to participate in that. If you guys want to put up that slide, uh, maybe. Oh, maybe it is already. Uh, so we're, we're calling this the Finish Strong campaign, though. In the past, what we've done is we've raised money just for THX. And, and through kind of October, November, kind of the end of the year, we, we do our big push to raise money for THX. And that's awesome. 
But we've been challenged as an elder team on this. We've been challenged to think about, like, THX is incredible. And we all love it. If you've done it before, you know what I'm talking about. Like, going and delivering that meal, seeing the kids' faces light up. It's so great. But realistically, that's serving one great meal to a family who needs it one day out of the year. That's not the way, primarily, God has determined to show his manifold wisdom to the world. The primary way is through the church. It's right there in verse 10, right? Uh, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And so we want to be focused on more than just THX. THX is a part of it. But we're, we're including in this Finish Strong campaign, finishing the whole year out strong. THX, but also finishing planting this church. Well, it's planted. We're here. Yes, it is. But we, we've got some more things we need to do as a church. Number one, we probably should hire a lead pastor at some point. <laughs> uh, I mean, t- Tim and I are doing great. We're, we're good. No complaints, okay? But at some point, we should probably hire uh, a full-time pastor, maybe somebody from within, maybe somebody from outside. I don't know how that's going to look. But in order to do that, we need to have some money in the bank so that we can make sure we can actually pay their salary, right? So we want to raise a little bit of money so that we can focus on getting a a lead pastor who's here in this location all the time. Preaching is just one tiny part of it, and and I think we do that all right. Uh, Tim does that really well, right? (laughs) And some of us do all right. But, But more than that, we need somebody here that's pastoring and caring for all of us throughout the week. And so that's what we're looking for with the lead pastor. So, so we're looking for that. We need to add to the facilities for children's. We need to take and, and probably finish another one of these sheds up here so that we can have more classroom space. We've got, I heard the other day, I think we've got kindergarten through fifth grade in one classroom. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> that's a big age gap, right? Uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. That should probably be separated, maybe kinder first or something, and then, you know, third through fifth grade or, or whatever. I skipped second grade. They go somewhere else? Okay. Anyway, we need to finish another one of those sheds up there. We're going to need some cash to do that. So, so that's a part of this campaign. We want to we see that happen. Uh, we want to look at some other staffing needs. Probably not a full-time role, but, but you know, uh, worship, uh, youth, children's, all these areas could use maybe some part-time staff, maybe full-time staff. We don't know fully what that needs to look like, but that, again, is going to take some money. Um, Youth, currently we do youth combined, so Silverton and Salem together at the Salem location most of the time. We would love to see an independent youth group out here so that we can serve more kids in community. They don't have to make the drive to Salem, and so we need to see that built out. Uh, and, then, and then finally, like a building fund. Uh, we're here, and this is incredible, and we don't want to move. We don't want to go anywhere. But at some point, we probably need a permanent facility uh, without the, the setup and tear down every week and stuff like that. We're just kind of looking out to the horizon and saying we should probably start stashing a little bit of money aside so if we get the opportunity to buy a property or build something or buy a building, uh, we're ready for that, right? So these are the things we're preparing for here in Silverton. And then uh, the third thing on this uh, this plan, this kind of finish strong campaign, is we want to plant more churches. This is incredible. We are 16, 17 months in, something like that, 15, I don't know, Uh, just over a year in. Look around you. What, ha- what God has done, this is so great. And, and we were in a position before we planted this church that, that we had a little bit of money in the bank. Financially, we were able to take the risk and start something new, and God has blessed it richly. We are so excited. We want to do it again. We want to plant more churches. Uh, and, and we got lots of areas like the Willamette Valley needs more 
churches that are preaching the gospel in barns or whatever, maybe other buildings, I don't know. But we want to see more churches planted, so that's a part of this too. So anyway, I'm, I'm asking you to give, I'm asking you to serve, think about how at the end of the year you could maybe give above and beyond. If you've never given before, and this is your home church, I want to ask you to, to jump in and, and maybe start giving. You know, maybe the, the big year-end gift is, is not what you're being called to, but, but maybe just starting to give a small amount every month. That would be incredibly helpful for the budget. So I just want to throw that out there. I want to think about this. Uh, it's more than money. It's serving. It's, it's working together as a church to display God's manifold wisdom to the world. So w- would you just join with us in that? Uh, we we want to see, you know, we want to see a great wrap-up to this incredible year and set us up strong for next year. Here's, here's our goal in dollars. Our, our goal is uh, $150,000 is what we want to raise. We think that would take care of everything that's on that list of, of goals we have set uh, for, the, for the near future both Silverton and Salem. This is a goal for both churches combined. Uh, we're working together on this, 150000 bucks. Our dream goal, like, like just thinking crazy, like what, what could we do if we raise three hundred grand? If we raise $300,000, what kinds of things could we do? And, and we, we have a list of just like dreams that, that we would love to see God fulfill. And so we're just throwing those numbers out there and want to invite you to be with us and a part of this uh, as, as we live out life as a church. All right, I better wrap up here. Let me, uh, let me pray, and then we're going to go to a time of communion. Father God, I love you so much. God, I'm so grateful that, that as we peer into your manifold wisdom, which is greater than we can ever wrap our heads around, God, there, there's an aspect of you which is unique to us as fallen sinners who receive your grace, though we don't deserve any of it, God, you choose to work in us and through us. God, just displaying what an incredible God you are. God, I pray that you would make this reality known to us in a way that is new and and fresh. God, help us to understand just how incredible you really are. And God, help us to display that to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.